Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. You could assume A stood for Adam. That's what the mother assumed if she found a note in the kitchen that said something like going out, A. You could assume A stood for the first letter of the alphabet or A for anonymous. Or if you chose to get philosophical, you could posit that A meant against and that A was making a political statement by becoming A. If you were into physics, A might stand for something extra negative like A for antimatter. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Suzanne Byrne about her latest novel, The Blue Window. Lorna is a social worker who helps countless depressed and disturbed patients pull their lives together, but she can't begin to communicate with her miserable 19-year-old son, who will barely answer and speaks in passive voice. She needs to drive up to Vermont to see her aging mother, now suffering from a possible broken ankle, and dreads being with her because the mother disappeared without a word when Lorna was a child and only came back in her life after her son was born. Then there's her ex-husband out on the West Coast. Lorna's job is communicating, but she hasn't found a way to do so in her own life. Hi, Suzanne. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. So happy to be here. So what is the genesis of your book's title? There's a lot of blues described here. What is the blue window? Well, the blue window literally is a big picture window facing Lake Champlain, where a very elderly woman sits day after day, looking out at this wide, expansive, beautiful, light-filled view, which is the exact opposite of her dark, very closed, shut down mind. And so that's the literal genesis of it, is this big window into the great big blue world. The other idea I had for the blue window is this idea that in order to try to see into somebody else's experience and somebody else's mind, 
you need to be able to wonder about them. And I think of it as kind of compassionate wondering, of wondering about, especially if the person seems shut down and very lonely, trying to imagine your way into their experience, into that kind of loneliness, that blueness. Um, and the third place it comes from is Matisse's painting, The Blue Window, which is one of my favorite paintings. And it has this remarkable effect where it looks as if you are inside and outside at the same time. Um, it's a very strange and beautiful painting. So that's a, a kind of unfortunately long answer to a quick question. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great answer. Now, I, I understand it way more. Why, why did you choose to set much of the book on that specific Lake Champlain in Vermont? Is it a special place for you? It started, I have a friend who has an old family camp up there. It's a, just a little tiny wooden building, rectangular, it looks like a shoebox. And it's filled with the view of the lake. That's really all it is, is it's this little house with a giant view of the lake. And I always thought it was one of the most beautiful places in the world, but it's also one of the most stripped down places that I've ever been. And I, I wanted to spend more time there actually is, I, I like to <clears throat> I like to set books in places that I'd like to inhabit for for a long period. And so that that's where that started. Mm -hmm. I hope you get there soon. So the book <laughs> opens with Adam, who is trying to erase himself. It's just a devastating scene. There's like kind of a line between typical teenage drama and serious depression. I'm not a therapist, but I got worried about him. Did you feel oh. like that too? Yes, I did. I mean, Adam is is like college students I have known who have made a mistake and they all do. We all do. Um, but especially when you're in college and you're experimenting and you're trying to be outgoing and you're not sure what you're doing and you're you're trying to reinvent yourself or find yourself, you often make a mistake. And this the problem these days is that your mistake, could become fodder for Twitter. It could be broadcast to millions of people. Mm -hmm. And the stakes are so much higher than they used to be. And so if something like that happens to you, it can feel absolutely devastating. You can feel exposed in front of the whole world. And the shame is pretty overwhelming. So you have to respond to it somehow. And his response is to try to erase himself quite yeah. His new philosophy is that, quote, the only way to live in this crap world is to care about nothing. Can you say more about him trying to speak only in passive voice as in, quote, bad choices were made? Well, I think he's trying to do two things. He's trying to remove the first person from his life. He no longer uses I. He won't even use his name. He uses A to stand for Adam. And He's trying also to step away from any active participation in this world that I think has hurt him so much um, as a response to this stupid thing that he did in college that he won't reveal, he won't tell his mother, he won't tell anyone because he believes that the shame is so great. So his way of trying to regain some kind of sense of honor is to turn this into a kind of moral position, is he's going to care about nothing, he's going to refuse to participate. There's too much fake news out there. So he's not going to make any news. He's going to take 
this enormous retreat from life. And it's it's an interesting idea that's, of course, impossible to um, actually live. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then his mother, Lorna, did... Did she become a social worker to learn how to communicate with people? Because she seems to have a lot of problems with that. Well, that's actually what her son accuses her of. He says that she became a therapist so she could think about other people's problems and not have to think about her own, which I thought was a fairly astute comment. It's reductionist, but, you know, um, I think the worst thing that she thinks she ever did was not listen to someone who needed her at a critical moment, she was unable to listen. And from then on, I think she has tried to devote herself to listening. But I think Adam is right. She's also trying very hard not to think about certain things in her own life as a way to manage them. And that causes her a fair amount of grief as the book goes on. Yeah. So, um, this is about uh, much of the action takes place that she's going, they're going to visit her mother. She has this um, sense of duty towards a mother who once left her as a child. Where does that sense of duty come from? Well, it seems very basic, this feeling that if someone is in need, someone especially in your family, that you should respond. And for some people, that's fairly simple. Your parents took care of you. When they become elderly and infirm, it's your turn to take care of them. That equation becomes very complicated if your parent didn't parent you, which is the situation with Lorna. Her mother left her when she was a young child and disappeared for a very long time without any word, and then abruptly reappeared when Lorna was an adult and was becoming a mother herself. And since then, she's attempted to have Marika, her mother, be part of her life, mostly because she has this idea that a family should be expansive. And she wants a grandmother for Adam. She wants to create a sense of family that is partly about appearances. And um, when her mother calls or when a neighbor calls to say that her mother's had a fall and needs help, I think she recognizes that it's a should, I should go up and help her, but she also recognizes that this is a chance for her and Adam to do something together. He won't talk to her. He's home from college. He's enormously depressed. She can't figure out what's wrong. And she thinks, okay, well, five hours in the car on the way to Vermont, you know, he might have to talk to me then. And maybe also in the course of taking care of her elderly mother, the two of them will figure out how to bond. And even perhaps there will be some bonding with her mother, who's almost impossible to talk to, who is a mostly silent person. So yeah, Lorna has it from both sides, a mother who won't talk to her and a son who won't talk to her. It's really, so I identified that I remember when my, my son was a teenager and just like single word answers. And <laughs> now he has security clearance, government security clearance. Oh my God. <laughs> I asked him, he says, mm, I really can't tell you. Oh, no. <laughs> I identified with poor Lorna. Um, she's, she thinks she's completely different from her mother, but she's also a loner. She, I, I was really surprised how she doesn't really seem that upset about her divorce. She seems like satisfied. What What's going on there? Well, I think she has strange feelings about her divorce. I think her marriage was never very intimate. 
I think she liked and likes her ex-husband. I think he likes her. I think at one point, Adam, trying to think about them, realizes that they had a kind of friendly pity for each other. I think they came together because it seemed like the right thing to do rather than a great love match. And it created problems for somebody who has, um, who was left as a child and has had intimacy problems ever since. I think, I think Lorna has in all of her relationships is waiting for the person to leave her. Um, and then when they do, there's a certain amount of relief mixed in there because now she can at least stop waiting for it to happen. That's part of the damage that she's carrying with her. Wow, and I didn't even think of that. That's that's really it. Thank you. Um, we learn about Lorna's brother only from her memories. What happened with their relationship? Well, they were both left and they reacted differently to it. Um, her brother blamed himself for the mother abandoning them, which children do often. That's how they try to control such a traumatic event is they think it was their fault. And um, and I think there probably was a little part of her that thought it was his fault too. He was a difficult child. She was a very docile, obedient child. But there's part of her that that also believed it was her fault that her mother left, that she didn't show her enough that she loved her to keep her there. Um, and the brother goes off on his own very early, runs away from school and goes to live in San Francisco. They don't see each other until he needs her. He does need her finally at, at the end of his life. And she answers the call she does when she goes up to see her mother, but she's not really able to help him in the way that she wanted to or thought she wanted to. And that's been something that she's carried with her. All of these characters are carrying quite a lot that they don't really seem able to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so difficult. It was, it, it was hard to read. It was hard to imagine a woman, a mother willing to walk away from her children like that. But then you go back to her childhood. And we learn a little bit more about her. How? What kind of research did you do to learn what might have happened to Marika in Amsterdam during World War II? You know, it's funny. I did an enormous amount of research, but it's about a 20-page section in the novel. It, it's it's so interesting how that can happen. But I, I went to Amsterdam twice, and both times I went to the Resistance Museum there, um, I had always heard that there was this enormous resistance that went on in Amsterdam. The Resistance Museum it was very small, um, which surprised me. And what I started to find out in the research I was doing was there was certainly resistance going on, but there was also a lot of compromised behavior. I think people were trying to survive. They were starving. And there was a lot of... I think heroism is a, is not as pure a term as people like to think. I think there's all sorts of compromises that people make. And, and she tried as a teenager to work with her sister to do something that was useful and, and it didn't work out that way. Um, but the story that she's told everyone is that she was part of the Dutch resistance and the difference between the story and the reality is a very painful distance. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it was just um, happened. You know, those kind of stories happen and we can't judge from this distance, but wow. Um, So Lorna, she understands pretty early that people are in pain and she she herself had to overcome a lot of self-doubt. Why? Is she able to focus on the people who offered supportive remarks or shared their own difficulties? I'm not sure when I'm at my lowest that I can see that kind of goodwill. I think she wants to believe that people can share the pain that they have. That's not the case with her mother. And one of the things that I became more and more interested in as I was working on this book is the idea that that there are people who have traumatic stories who really can't talk about it. I think we often get trauma stories where the person is able finally to share their their terrible story and in some ways feel some relief. But I think there are people who can't tell their stories. They don't have the language. They don't believe anyone could possibly hear it. And for those people, the way they live is the story they can't tell. And I think Lorna is not actually able to see that until maybe the end. Um, I think she can respond to what she can be directly told, but she's having trouble imagining what people can't say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could you introduce the neighbor? He's he's a small but large character. So Dennis is um, the the person who called Lorna to say that her mother Marika had had a fall and needed some help. And he has been the person who's allowed for the last year or so um, Marika to stay in this remote cabin that she has on Lake Champlain. She's no longer able to drive. Um, Someone's had to help her out, but he's clearly reached the end of his willingness and ability to help her. And that's also behind this phone call that he makes to Lorna, um, who, who doesn't really realize this until she gets up there that he's trying to hand her mother off to her, um, for reasons that I won't give away. He has felt bound to help take care of this elderly, mostly silent, very difficult, often rather unpleasant elderly woman in the middle of nowhere in Vermont. Wow. Um, Suzanne, I especially loved your writing about nature. I remember uh, when I lived in Boston, going up for weekends in Vermont, especially in the fall, you describe it, you describe it so lovingly. Oh, thank you. Say more. Well, I, I think it heightens um, drama when you have something else to look at at the same time. And as painful as the things are that are going on in the three days that these people are spending together, Lorna, Adam, and her mother in this very small cottage, very uncomfortable cottage, 
um, on Lake Champlain, all around them is, a, is astonishing beauty, which is in counterpoint to the not beautiful things that are happening inside that cottage mm -hmm. among them. The other thing I think bringing in the natural world allows is it's another way to see what's going on inside of people without having to explain it because the way they look at what they're seeing will tell you a good bit about how they're feeling. Yeah, that's so true. With Do you identify with any one character more than others in this book? Well, I would say Lorna because she's trying so hard and she's a mother and she is worried about her child and and she wants to do well, even by people she doesn't understand. And um, and I admire that about her. I, I think she's very imperfect, but she works her way to a kind of imaginative place by the end of the book that I admire. I think she gives up her insistence on getting explanations from Adam and Marika, who will not give them to her, and instead tries to accompany them in a different way that in the end may be more compassionate. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, Suzanne, this is your fifth novel, right? Yes. So what are you working on next? I'm working on another novel. Um, and this one is set in the future, something I have never done before. Um, and, and I actually will stop there because the minute I start talking about something that I'm just starting to work on it, it sounds awful. I have to, <laughs> I have to stop before I discourage myself. Wait a minute. So you mean there's, is there going to be, just tell me one thing. Is there peace on earth? <laughs> Does, is I there an end to war? To answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's just all hope. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been oh, thank you. Thank you. This has really been terrific. Thanks so much. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Suzanne Byrne about her latest novel, The Blue Window. Hope you have a wonderful novel to curl up with tonight and every night. Happy reading. <laughs>